Today's sermon was given by Matt Wilson, son of Pastor Chuck Wilson, New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. Uh, I will not be preaching today, which most of you already know that. Let's see. I, was, I remember I was 32 years old, and a baby boy was born on my birthday, on Father's Day, Matthew, and, uh, and now here he is uh, following me up to the pulpit. So he's a little nervous. Let's give him a little encouragement here. <laughs> okay, so, and I'll just, I'll just uh, pray. pray. Father, we just thank you for um, Matthew and the way that you're working in his life and, and working through him. And just pray that your spirit would speak through your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hi, so uh, my name is Matthew, and um, for those of you who don't know me, I grew up in the church, and for a long time, I, I strayed, and this was really hard on my parents, knowing that I was, uh, knowing that I was lost, but um, one thing that I remember when God began really working in my life was that um, my parents' love for me, it was unconditional. They didn't love me because... Um, because I was obedient, they didn't love me because of uh, because of how good I was of a son. They just loved me because I was their son. And this is very similar to how God loves us and how God sees us. He um, he just wants us to come back to him. And in the story that we look at, that we're going to look at today, in Luke 15, if you want to open your Bibles up there, um, that's what we're going to see. So let's pray before we get started. God, uh, we know that nothing can be accomplished apart from you working. So please, have mercy on us. Soften our minds and our hearts to learn and accept more of who you are. In your name we pray. Amen. So yeah, let's open up to Luke 15. We're going to be looking at verses 1 and 2 right now. The chapter, it opens up with the sinners and the tax collectors gathering around to hear Jesus speak and hang out with him. And of course, the Pharisees are there and they're, they're giving... They're giving, uh, or they're grumbling, they're complaining, they're saying that, or they're grumbling that Jesus is eating with them and hanging out with them because they don't understand why he would do this. And to provide some context, it would make sense because the tax collectors um, and those sinners, they were viewed at on, on the same level as harlots and prostitutes in that day. But instead of answering their grumblings with a simple statement, Jesus goes on to tell three stories. And in the first two stories, we learn that God wants sinners to come to repentance, and he rejoices in their return. So that's why he's spending time with them. And this leads us to our third story, which is the prodigal. And that's where we're going to be right now. So, uh, yeah, let's read um, Luke 15, verses 11 to 16. Uh, it says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed his pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. 
So the story begins by telling us that there's a father and he has two sons. And the younger son, he asks his father for his, his inheritance. And this would be extremely disrespectful. It's basically as if he's saying, Dad, I wish that you were dead. I just want your money. And in, in spite of this offensive request, the father, he doesn't argue. He simply gives it to him. So the son, he goes off and he squandered his wealth in wild living. And this wild living, we don't necessarily know what it is. But the older brother, he accuses him of squandering it on prostitutes. But we don't know, so we can fill in the blanks with our imaginations. But either way, he ends up hungry, broken, and in need because of his sinful life that he was choosing to live. So he finds a job working as a slave, basically, for someone who won't even give him enough to eat. And this job is not something that a free man would do. This is something that a slave would do, someone who does not have any freedom. He was basically bought out. And what we can see from this is that his sinful life led him into virtual slavery. We know that sin promises big things early on. This is obvious. It's pleasing at first. It's tempting. We, We all love sin. But over time... It takes a hold of you, and you become a slave to it. And this is where he's at right now. He's lost. He's helpless. He's broken. And he has nowhere to go, so what does he do? In a sense, he repents. Uh, Let's look at verses 17 to the first half of verse 20. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. So the first thing that he does is he realizes his sin. He acknowledges that he has sinned. If you don't acknowledge that you have sinned, you have no chance at repentance. In our day, we... we so our, our culture... We don't know what sin is, but even in the church, I think that we have issues realizing exactly what sin is. And if we can't even acknowledge what our sin is, then we can never come to repentance. But the second thing that he does is he goes home. He doesn't just say, I'm sorry about this. He actually does something about it. This is the second and a very vital part of repentance. Um, And this is exactly what we are to do. We are not just to acknowledge our sin, but we are to turn from it. We are to turn away from it. Otherwise, the repentance is not real. Repenting isn't just confessing and saying, I'm sorry, and then going out the next week and doing it again. Repentance is going out and saying that you're sorry and then stopping whatever it is, changing something, actually making a change. And I know it's not always going to be perfect. You are going to make mistakes. You are going to struggle. But we must keep on trying. And the reason why we keep on trying is that our repentance is ultimately driven by God's love for us. And this is what we can see in in the son. The son comes back because he remembers his father's goodness. He remembers that his father was good to his servants. He remembers that his father is merciful. And that's what drove him to come back. And we have the same hope. It's just like God. In Romans 2.4, Paul writes, Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you towards repentance? It's God's kindness that leads us towards repentance. Um, 
God didn't, he didn't have to give Jesus to die on our behalf, to die for our sins, for our fallen condition. It was because he cared so much about us. And that is what needs to drive our repentance. Otherwise, we're going to be repenting in fear of punishment, in fear of, yeah, basically punishment. And this is how we fall into a form of legalism, basically where the Pharisees are. So we must learn to see that God is a loving father. And we can see this as the rest of the story goes on. In verses 20 to 24, Jesus says, So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So, as the son was a long way off, the father, he was filled with compassion and he runs to him. And he throws his arm, or arms around him. This son, he brought shame to his father. He disrespected him. In one of the worst ways possible, honestly, I was reading commentaries and they would say that this was almost punishable by death. Like, that's how serious of a thing it is. We don't get this because it's not our culture and we don't understand shame culture, but that's how serious this was to them. And instead of punishing him, instead of any of that, he, he doesn't even let him apologize. He sees his repentance in his coming back and he, he lovingly embraces him and forgives him. That's all the father wanted was for him to come. That's it. That's all he needed from him. He didn't want anything else. So if you're here today and you feel as if your sin has left you beyond, beyond reach, um, I, I encourage you to take, take encouragement from this story. God's mercy and his grace is not beyond anybody's reach. You may say, you know, I, I've tried to come to Jesus before, but it hasn't worked. The Bible doesn't tell us that that's how it works. In John 6, Jesus says that all those who come to me, I will never drive away. And in Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen, he says, God promises that you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. See, Jesus promises that if you come to him, he will not turn you away. This goes for believers and unbelievers when we're in repentance and unbelievers who are trying to come to him. He will not turn anybody away. It doesn't matter how bad that you think you are. Jesus didn't come to heal the healthy. He didn't come for the, uh, the righteous. In Luke 5.31, Jesus says, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have, not, I have come to call the righteous I have not come to call the righteous, sorry, but the sinners to repentance. He isn't here for the righteous. He's here for those who are lost, who need him so badly. But the Pharisees, they don't understand this. They're like, why would Jesus hang out with the sinners? We are righteous. We are good in, in the law's eyes, in the world's eyes, or in, yeah, in the moral law's eyes. And this is exactly why the older brother gets so mad when he returns home, as we'll read in verses 25 to 32. Jesus says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. 
The older brother became angry, and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you, fill, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So when the older brother, he hears about his younger brother being welcomed, he gets angry. And since he won't join the party, the father goes out to him, which he had no, he did not need to do that, but he did out of his love for the older son. But the thing is, the older brother, he has a point. He has been obedient. He has been faithfully serving his father his entire life. But the father explains to him, that's not what it's about. I don't love you based off of what you do, based off of what you do for me, how good you are. I love you because you are my son. I love both of you because you're my sons. And that's it. He loves them the exact same. But because the older brother, he thinks that the love of the father is based is conditional, it's based off of how obedient he is, how good he is. He doesn't understand this, and he doesn't welcome his younger brother. But this is why Christianity is so incredible. It shatters the idea that obedience equals love and acceptance. Nobody is more deserving or less deserving of hell. We all deserve hell. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What this means is that nobody deserves God's love. But because God cared so much about the world, he gave Jesus to die in our place to be the atoning, propitiation, sacrifice in our place. And all we have to do, all we can do, is put our trust and our faith in him. For him to be our righteousness, for him to take our place. Because we will never live up to the law's standards. We will never live up to, we will never live up to God. And in Romans 3.24, Paul writes that all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We are justified, we're made righteous in God's eyes, not by anything that we have done, not by anything that we can do. It's all grace. It's all about what Jesus has done for us. Now you may say, well, I believed and I put my faith in Jesus, so didn't I do something? And in a sense, you did. But in a bigger sense, no. For example, uh, Romans 3, 10 to 12 says that there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. What this is saying, we're all evil, we're all sick. The only way for anybody to believe is by God's grace. That's it. We, we have, you can't will your way into believing something. You can't will your way into trusting in Jesus. God must work in your life. No one can make that decision on their own. And to back this up even farther, Ephesians 2, 8 to 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's grace that brought you to faith, and it's grace that keeps you there. The only reason why you wake up every day believing that Jesus died for your sins is because God is keeping you there. Now, there's a reason why I just did that. So for us to get the application of this passage... We must know that it is a complete gift 
for uh, that we are saved, that God has given us grace to believe. The whole application is to accept others who have been freely forgiven, freely, grace has been freely given to them, just as you and I have. We have all been lost. We are, everyone is lost before Jesus works in their lives. None of us wanted anything to do with God. None of us wanted, uh, or all of us wanted to go our own way and do our own thing. Whether it was for a short time or a long time, and even if you have believed your whole life you were born sinful, so God had to work in your life, he had to give you the grace to come to him in the beginning. And if we remember this and we reflect on it, we will naturally and joyfully welcome all the lost who come to Jesus. We won't be fighting our flesh to force ourselves to want others to come to repentance. You can't will yourself into that. You can't will yourself into wanting someone to come to repentance when you really don't. Honestly, um, let's think about a person, a person in our lives that uh, has wronged us beyond repair, that we, we really don't want to come to Jesus. Maybe it's a group of people like uh, abortion doctors or Islamic terrorists. And just think about how different are you and I compared to them. We really, we aren't that much different. The only difference is, is that, that we, are lost, or we are found and they are lost. That's it. Jesus has worked in our lives in a different way than and he hasn't in theirs yet. We should still be lost, but God's grace, it took us out of that. We must know that God wants all to come to repentance, not just those who are saved. We are no better than anybody else and no more deserving. And all we can do is keep reminding ourselves of, of these truths. And naturally, we will want others to come to repentance. So uh, I want to close with a story. As most of you know, um, I've got an older brother, Ryan, and he, he's lost right now. And when I first got saved, I was, I was really, really angry with him because, you know, I looked up to him like, uh, like every younger brother does to their, their older brother. And, and I saw the bad influence that he had on my entire life. And I was just like, I, I almost blamed him for the reasons why I went off on on my tangent that I did in life. But um, so when I came to believe, I, I started to think, you know, all right, I'm a little better than him because I believe and he doesn't. I'm a little better than him for these reasons. But then God really showed me through his word that it is, it's all grace that I was saved. That's it. And through that, I, uh, my, my heart, it was so softened. It was softened to everybody, really, all who are lost. I mean, the only reason you can have any kind of heart towards someone who is persecuting you, wanting to kill you, is because of Jesus' um, work in your life, because of his grace. That's the only way. So, I mean, now, I mean, I want him to come to repentance so badly. I don't blame him. It was all me. I, I went off. That was, that was my choice. I'm, I'm evil. I'm sick. We all are. But this passage, I mean, it's so encouraging because um, we, we, we can know that God wants the lost to be found, and he rejoices in their return. And to back this up even more, Paul writes in 1 Timothy 2.4 that God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of truth. We must take encouragement from this. We all have loved ones that are lost. We all have people who we don't like that are lost. But... 
we can take encouragement from this uh, that God does want the lost to be found. And I know this raises a lot of big theological questions that I can't talk about right now, but I would love to if you want to after. But um, yeah, I think this is really encouraging. I mean, Christianity or the Bible oftentimes it gives us these these two seemingly contradictory statements, but they're both true. So God does want all the lost to be found, and we need to hold on to that no matter what the world may look like. So yeah, let's just let's close in prayer. Um, God, I thank you for your word. Uh, please help us to accept the fact that you do want the lost to be found. In Jesus' name, amen.